And as I look out into the congregation today, I see um, it's almost like a bouquet of flowers, uh, different colors and different people from all different types of uh, ethnicities and backgrounds. This is what heaven is going to look like, so you better get used to it. Um, and, and so I want to share, you know, what my, what my pastor was sharing there before I have a prayer and get into the message this morning. You know, he mentioned about the keepers of the faith and that they will be putting a concert on at North Cascade. Is that correct? And uh, those brothers of mine, those uh, members of the keepers of the faith, we all used to sing in the same a cappella group in Hawaii. And, um, and since then, we've ventured out and have all been involved in different ministries. Obviously, theirs is, you know, gospel music, and uh, we all used to be a part of the same a cappella group there in Hawaii. And uh, I'm going to say, you know, Pastor said that, you know, you're going to see these, uh, these big hulking guys. Um, not all of us Samoans come in that package. And so for anyone that's, you know, that expected uh, that, you know, you would see a big hulking Samoan, uh, we come in different packages. And so I praise God for that, though. Um, and so I, I'm just thankful that they're going to be doing that concert there in North Cascade. I'd like to share with you um, some of the things that the Lord is doing. Uh, we're excited about the baptisms that are going to take place, um, not just tonight, but I'm also going to make an appeal at the end of this message for baptism. I believe that every occasion, every opportunity that we have to invite people to say yes to Jesus and to come to Jesus, we ought to extend that invitation. Would you say amen? amen. And uh, no matter where I've been, whether I've preached at a funeral, whether I've, I've uh, done a wedding, um, children's dedication, every, every opportunity, basketball game, football game, doesn't matter. Um, in every circle that God has placed me, I've always made appeals and people have always said yes to Jesus. In fact, this afternoon I'm going to be going to um, where we planted a new church in Seattle at the Boys and Girls Club. Would you say amen? And that, that group is going to be recognized today by the conference as an official church plant in Seattle where I grew up. And for those of you who may not know my story, those are the streets that I grew up in. I grew up as a, as a um, I was involved in gang activity, drug dealing drug addiction, alcohol addiction, in and out of the system. And so I'm actually excited about what the Lord is doing in my hometown and, and in that city. I believe, listen, the reason, why, the reason why I'm bold when it comes to the gospel is because I was bold when it came to doing the devil's work on the streets. And what the, what the Lord did was he took this gangbanger, he took this drug addict, set me free, and while I gave all of my heart and my life to the streets and where I came from, God has taken that, has turned me around, and now is using that for the purpose of spreading the gospel. Amen. And I make no apologies. I make no apologies for lifting up Jesus and for sharing about Christ and the miracles that he has performed in my life. I make no apologies for being bold about sharing the gospel no matter what circles I'm in. Why? Because I believe in the power of the gospel. I have experienced the power of the gospel. I have experienced the freedom that Christ offers. And let me share with you, family, and young people who are in this room, God can do that for anyone. Anyone. I know what it's like to be in those dark spaces. I know what it's like to look and to stare down the barrel of a gun and look at death face to face. I know what it's like to be drunk out of my mind and high as a kite 
and even come into the house of God and God be merciful to me because of my praying mother. I want to share with those who are in the back, uh, I, I might not use the slides today, I'm going to lean on the Holy Spirit, if that's all right with you. I don't, I don't follow a script. I'm not a scripted preacher. <laughs> whatever the Holy Spirit brings, whatever the Holy Spirit puts on my heart and my mind, you see, the one thing that I've come to know and understand is that the Holy Spirit knows the audience better than I know them, and he knows me better than I know myself. And so I'm just going to lean in on the Holy Spirit and allow him to share the message today. Is that all right with you? Because you guys didn't come to hear a man. At least I hope you didn't. I hope that you came here because you're expecting something big from God. And God is always ready to deliver on his promise. It's good to see you, Stephanie, Roger. I want you to know that we've been praying for your family. Our hearts go out to you over the loss of your dad. praying for you. I know it's a difficult time. Father in heaven, Lord, it's your time. Holy Spirit, I'm yours. Have thine own way. Have thine own way. Fill this place, Holy Spirit, with your presence. Not just the building, but every living temple in this place. I pray that Jesus will be lifted up. John 12, 32, Jesus, you said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men, all people, all women, boys and girls, to me. Isaiah 55, verse 11 Lord, you said that your word will go forth and will not return to you void, but will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. Let your word find its way into each and every one of our hearts today. Speak to us, Lord, what we need. Give us what we need. Give us that living bread, that living water, all that we need, Lord. You are more than willing and ready to supply. Help us, Lord, to celebrate today. Those who have given their hearts to Jesus Luke chapter 15, verses 7 and 10, it says that all of heaven rejoices over one sinner that repents and comes to Christ. Well, what about an entire room of sinners coming to Jesus? What must heaven look like? Thank you, Lord, for hearing this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to... uh, share with you um, a few other things so that service today with uh, the New Life Seattle group takes place at 3 um, next Sabbath actually next Friday night I will be starting another series out in Seattle at the South Center Church um, for the community out there next Sabbath I will have my first worship service in the afternoon with the Muslim community that I've been working with. Would you say amen? amen. Families that have, that have accepted Jesus, including an imam and his family. Um, I'm excited about that. Let me, let me tell you, as excited as I am about being here, to be honest with you, I, I, Brian, I'm going to say, I'm always more excited when the church service is done because then the real service begins. 
because I, I like being out there in the community, rubbing shoulders with people, having those Matthew parties, as Pastor likes to put it, the one that you find in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, where Jesus was having to speak with the religious leaders and those who couldn't understand why he would mingle with sinners. Aren't you thankful that Christ mingled with sinners? Don't you think that we should be involved and engaged in the ministry of Christ in mingling with other people as well? And not just within our own circles and in our own holy huddles? <laughs> Luke chapter 15, it says there in verses 1 and 2 and, and 3, it talks about how Christ, that the publicans and the sinners drew near to him for to hear him. But it says that the Pharisees and, and the religious leaders were upset and angry that he did this. Uh, let me tell you something. I'm just thankful that while they accused him of doing these things, aren't you thankful that Jesus is guilty as charged? That he's willing to hang out with the lowlifes and the moral and social outcasts of society, the marginalized Let me, let me share something with you real quickly. Uh, this is just coming, you know. I would encourage all of us at some point, uh, once again, to look into the family tree of Jesus. Let me touch on mothers today, if I, will, if I may. I want to share with you that my mother, my father was a pastor within the Seventh-day Adventist Church. He was a pioneer of the Samoan work there in Samoa then in Hawaii, then in California, and he was the first Samoan pastor for the Samoan Seventh-day Adventist Church in Tacoma. I come from a family of 12 kids, 10 boys, 2 girls. Somebody say amen. My parents believed in the, the commandment given in Genesis that you are to uh, be fruitful and multiply. And out of, those, out of those 12 boys, because my sister should have been boys, they were roughnecks just like the rest of us. And make no mistake about it, while I come in a small package, um, the nicknames that I received while growing up were Mighty Mouse, the Samoan Wolverine. There was a fearlessness that I had. I mean, you had to have it when you're growing up in a home of 10 boys where you're always jostling and fighting over everything. And not only that, but my, man, but my father was a very stern disciplinarian, a very stern man, even though he was a minister of the gospel. The one thing that I could not reconcile early on in my life and in my childhood was how could this man of God be up there preaching about Jesus and the love of God and at the same time at home abusing, abusing his wife and, and us. That was the picture early on that I got of God. But what I'm thankful for, here's what I'm thankful for is that later on, as my father was coming towards the end of his life, prayed me to God, he repented, we mended our relationship, and I believe that I'm going to see him on that glorious resurrection morning. My mother was a prayer warrior, a ferocious prayer warrior. And the two texts that she would claim over all of us, the first one was found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 49 and verse 25, where it says that I will contend with him who contends with you, and I will save your children. God said that. God promised that. My mother believed that. Would you say amen? And I must say that over the last two years 
of the nearly 400 baptisms that I've been a part of, I praise God that more than 40 of them have been my own family members. Oh, you guys are just too quiet for me. I mean, we ought to get excited because God wants to save our families. Would you say amen? He wants to save our children. Would you say amen? He wants to save our young people. He wants to save our youth. He wants to snatch them from the hand of the enemy. He wants to, he wants to save our families. He wants to save our homes. He wants to save marriages. God is still in the business of saving souls. And we, as God's church, ought to be engaged and involved in that mission of saving souls. The second text that my mom claimed and believed in was found in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 16 and 17, where it says that I will bring your children back from the land of the enemy. I will restore them and and bring them back to their borders. I will bring them back home. That's why Brian's here. That's why Brian's about to get baptized. Would you say amen? Because God, God saw his son and God reached out to Brian. The Holy Spirit has been massaging his heart. The Holy Spirit has led him into a relationship with pastor. That's what it's all about, by the way. It's about relationships. We can preach, we can preach doctrine and all prophecy and all these things which are very important. But if we don't preach it from the, from the perspective of making it relational and not just informational. Because what the problem of the church today is that we have done a great job when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel. But where is the demonstration of the gospel? Where is it being lived out in our lives to where people can actually see it? They're saying, man, you know what? It's not about what you preach and teach behind a pulpit. It's how you live for Jesus. That's what that community here and in North Cascade and in Bellingham and in Lummi and in Ferndale, that's what they're looking for. That's what they're waiting for. It's not just a proclamation of the gospel, but a demonstration of it. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 13 verse 35, he said that the world will know, they will know, that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. If you have what, family? Jesus, in John chapter 17, prays, Father, I pray that they will be one, even as we are one. And did you know that he said that the greatest evidence, the greatest proof that God has sent Jesus into the world is when we are one and have love for one another. That Samoans and Caucasians and African Americans and Native Americans can all sit in the same place and worship God together and love one another. Filipinos, it doesn't matter. Spanish, it doesn't matter. All of us together as a family of God sitting together. And by the way, do you know that the fact that all of us are in here sitting together is a miracle of the Holy Spirit. Because we're all different. We all have different temperaments. We all come from a different background. And yet here we are. Sometimes, sometimes just, just look around you and, and bask in the mighty miracle working power of God. There are going to be some people here today who are going to experience healing in Jesus. By the way, Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 puts it this way. It says that by his stripes or by his wounds, we are healed. 
can I tell you, family, that there are those in this place, in this room, those who are joining us online, that are in need of healing? What do you mean, Pastor? Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. You know why? Because we've all have done a pretty good job, this pastor included, of coming into the church and we've done a pretty good job, my dear brother, of masking. Aren't you thankful we don't have to wear the mask anymore? Now, you have a choice to, and, we're, and let, me, let, me, let me also teach you something here about that. In John chapter 17, talks about being one. I find it amazing and interesting, Pastor, that God respects our freedom of choice, and yet we don't respect one another's freedom of choice. How is that? How is it that the God of the universe, the creator God, our savior God, respects every human being's freedom of choice and free will? But we don't. And, 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 and look at the damage that it has caused in the church, in the relationships. You see, love, love allows for free will and free choice, and love respects one another's free choice. Even if people have a different point of view, a different perspective, a different opinion from what you might believe in or what you might see and perceive as being the truth, the bottom line is this. We still should respect and love one another regardless of what views and opinions people may hold. Would you say amen? Vax, non-vax, mask, no mask. Isn't it high time that the church stop practicing social distancing? And by the way, you didn't need a mandate to do that. In many of our circles, the church has been practicing social distancing for far too long. Distancing itself from the community. Distancing itself from those on the outskirts, those on the streets, those in prison, those who are in need of the gospel. The most attractive thing about Christianity is not our diets. Somebody say amen. amen. I believe in the health message. But make no mistake about it, you're not going to be saved by being a vegan. If you're not going to say amen, say ouch. <laughs> you're not going to be, listen, you're not going to be saved. The, the Bible does not say, Jesus does not say that the world will know that you are my disciples by your vegan diet. He didn't even say that the world will know that you are my disciples by your Sabbath keeping. He said that the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. I mean, look at Brian. I, I, Brian, I hate to keep putting that. Right here is a walking, living miracle of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So my praying mother prayed for me when we were out there on the streets. In 1996, one of my older brothers was shot and killed in the streets of Seattle, up in the projects that I grew up in. I've lost two older brothers to the streets. I've lost a nephew to the streets. I've lost a niece to the streets. I've lost homies to the streets. 
And what I can say to you, family, in 1996, when I first gave my heart to Jesus Christ, because a man by the name of Ron Halverson Sr. was doing an evangelistic series in Hawaii. And his prayer was, I'm praying for all those from the ghettos and from the project. Yeah, Hawaii's not all palm trees and sunshine. He says, I'm praying for all those that come from the projects and the ghettos to come to my meetings. Well, I was among that group that showed up. I was invited to come to his meetings. And it was there that I had an encounter with Jesus, gave my life to, gave my life to Christ, became a youth pastor for the Samoan church that I was attending at the time, and was working with all the young people, pointing them to Christ. Well, then I was offered to pastor churches in Hawaii, took on the pastoral role. And then in 2004, I lost my way. I lost my way again. I left the ministry, left the family, turned my back on God, went back to the streets and went back to my former life. And I want to share with you, family, that from 2004 to about 2010, um, I was in a dark space. And yet, I praise God that God is not afraid to, to, to pursue us into these dark spaces. Somebody say amen. He doesn't just leave you languishing there in your dark space. God is not afraid of the dark. Somebody say amen. But God invaded that dark space, came back into my life. How did he do it? He did it through a, 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 a different ways. The first one was, I remember he helped me and my wife here. At the time, our 16-year-old daughter was an infant. We, we were homeless for a little bit, living out of our van. Finally ended up at my brother-in-law, my, brother, my older brother's house. My mom was staying with him. And then, long story short, I'm just trying to whittle this all down. Long story short, family, I want to share with you that what happened was we finally got on our feet. I got a job with the city of Seattle working for City Light. And at City Light, as I entered into, um, began a new job there with the new crew, I went around introducing myself. There was a 19-year-old young man by the name of Dion Johnson who, when I introduced myself, I said, hi, my name is Nehemiah. He said, my name is Dion, and around here, brother, it's all about Jesus. And I said, you got to be kidding me. I'm over here trying to run from God, and I run into one of these Christ nuts here on the job. And I want to tell you that this guy was crazy, right? I mean, he was so in love with Jesus, Pastor. He just oozed Jesus. And then on top of it, my supervisor put me in the same truck with this brother for the next two months to go to and from the job site. And what he, what he always wanted to do was he said, hey, listen, man, he said, I hope you don't mind, but, man, I'm going to have a word of prayer before we go to the job. I said, go ahead, man. And then on top of that, he would turn on his Christian music. And he would sing. I didn't say sing. He would sing. <laughs> brother... This brother just, man, just singing about Christ all up in that truck. We were having church in that truck. I didn't want to be there, but we were having church. Then when we get to the job site, we'd be down in the excavation or in the trenches, and we're over there digging and, and tunneling, and pretty soon, you know, this brother just starts dropping object lessons, and he tapped me on my shoulder and said, Nehemiah, you see that ladder over there? I said, yeah, I see that ladder. What about it? He says, that ladder is Jesus. There's only one way in and one way out. And at the time, I was wishing that he would get out. Because I'd heard enough. 
And he would say it so loud, family. He would say it so loud that every, everybody, everybody on the crew, whether you're inside of that ditch or inside of that excavation or on top, everyone can hear him having worship and praising God on the job. And then, and then as, as, he, as, as we got this 90-pound pneumatic jackhammer out to break up the concrete on the street, this young brother, he would be like, Lord, break up the fallow ground of my heart and make it soil for you. Dude, give me that. <laughs> Over there. One of the menial jobs that we had to do was we had to repair broken sewer lines. And at this particular time, it was Dion and it was our turn to go down. And Dion looked at me and said, Nehemiah, let's go down. I said, bro, I don't want to go down there, man. Pick one from somebody else. He said, no, it's our turn, man. Let's go. So we put on our Tyvek suits and we put on our, we put on our hip waders and, and we put on a little mask and we went down there and we descended down into that mess. And as we descended down into that mess and you stepped all up in that mess. And that stuff was still flowing. I'm not going to get more graphic than that. Well, that stuff was, I mean, that stuff was, and, and man, the smell was, oh, it was, it was horrible. And all I remember this young man doing when we stepped down into that mess was this. He said, Lord, thank you for stepping into my mess and for saving a sinner like me. It was right there that I had another encounter with Jesus. Can I tell you something, church? If the church doesn't love the broken, then the church is broken. Let me repeat. If the church does not love the broken, then the church is broken. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful. I praise God that Jesus left glory, left the adoration and the admiration of the angels, the worship of the angels, put the scepter in his father's hand. Stepped all the way down from glory. Wasn't even born among the highborn of earth, but was born in a barn, was born in a stable, was born among animals. Jesus did this. He stepped into our mess because he loved us and gave himself for us. Jesus didn't social distance himself. When this planet got into the mess that it got into, he didn't walk away and leave us and abandon us. He did not social distance himself from us. He did not go all of a sudden quiet and silent. He was not aloof. The king of glory took on human flesh and blood. Became like you, Brian. Became like me. And gave his life for us. Became like Jessica. gave his life for us. Did you say amen? Aren't you thankful that Christ stepped into our mess? And he turns it into a message? That he comes into our test and turns it into a testimony? For the sake of time, I'm just going to refer to the scripture. Matthew chapter 1. You guys read it for yourself. Matthew chapter 1. There are four women that are mentioned in the there are four women that are mentioned immediately in the family tree of Jesus. 
for women. Mothers. The first one is Tamar. Tamar pretended to be a prostitute. And for the sake of our children in here, I'm not going to divulge more details. I'll just say this, that she managed to trick her father-in-law, Judah, to, you know, and they had children. She's in the family tree of Jesus. What about Rahab? Rahab comes to, comes to us from the city of Jericho. She's the one that hid those two spies that came and spied out Jericho. And the record is that Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute. And yet, she was instructed to leave a long red line or sash or whatever it was out the window said that when the walls of the city of Jericho would come tumbling down, she would be saved. Rahab, a prostitute in the family tree of Jesus? What? The next woman you have is Ruth, a Moabitess. She's not even a Jew. She is the daughter-in-law of Naomi, and Naomi says to her, you know, you can go your way. She says, no, your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Ruth is in the family tree of Jesus. Would you say amen? Bathsheba. Now, let me tell you, I'm going I'm to be, there's a lot of folks who like to sugarcoat things. I don't, I'm not that preacher. And by the way, by the way, I, I will say this, that there's no straighter preacher than Jesus. Would, would you say amen? I mean, in John chapter 8, read it, for him to look at the religious leaders and say, who are boasting about their heritage and boasting about their lineage and boasting about their ties to Abraham. He says, if, if Abraham were your father, then you would know who I am. Your father's the devil. Wow. Can you get any straighter than that? No. So I'm going to put it this way. Bathsheba, we were just having this discussion with my daughter, Lala, all 16 years of age, and man, she, she, I love the way that she broke this thing down. Because she said that they were having a debate in, in her Bible class at Auburn Academy, and she said that the question was, whose fault more was it? Was it David or Bathsheba's fault? And she says that they just were in uproar because when the, when the girl said that it was David's fault, all the boys took offense to it. <laughs> all the boys were like, no, it's Bathsheba's fault. But can I tell you, family, let me, just, let me just cut to the chase and say this. David raped that woman. Not a lot of people like to hear that. But when you have that kind of power, and you can force somebody to do something. That's rape. People can, make a, people can put a spin on it all they like. But David raped that woman. David murdered her husband. 
David stole from her husband. And by the way, by the way, Uriah was one of his best friends. David did that. And yet the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. Not because of the sins that he engaged in, but because David knew, and that's the reason why he wrote Psalm chapter 51, verses 10, you read the whole chapter, but in verses 10 through 11 and 12, David said, create in me a what? A clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. David recognized he was a sinner, he was messed up, and that he needed God all the time. The question is, is do we recognize our need of God? I'm going to close with this, and then I'm going to make my appeal. We have a baptism, baptism pool here. I want to tell you that if there's anyone that we got robes, pastor announced it. And if there's anybody that would like to get baptized or rebaptized today, and the Holy Spirit has been pricking your heart, the Holy Spirit has been massaging your heart, let me tell you something. I'm just arriving at where the Holy Spirit has already been working. It's not this preacher. Well, let me, let me break this down real quickly. We've been having this encounters with Jesus series all week, all these last few weekends, and this is how I'm going to put it. John the Baptist was the first one that we mentioned on the opening night. He was sent of God. He was a prophet of God. He was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. But John, too, was a sinner. John, too, dealt with insecurities and questions and was even in despair and despondent while he was locked up in a dungeon. How do we know? When you read Matthew chapter 11, John sent his disciples to Jesus to ask Christ the question, are you the one or should we expect another? Got a, got a quick question for you. Do you think that John could save himself from his situation, and most impo- and more importantly, do you think that he could have saved himself from his doubts and from his questions and from his insecurities without the help of Jesus? Help me out here, church family. No. That's the reason why he, he sent his disciples to ask the question. How did Christ respond? Christ responded by sharing a prophecy in the book of Isaiah, chapter 35, regarding his own mission. He says, you go and tell John what you see and hear here. The blind see, the deaf receive their hearing back, the, 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 the dead are raised back to life, the sick are healed, the lame walk. You go and tell John that. And guess what? When they went and told John that, John now was ready to take his rest because his mission had been accomplished and God had fulfilled his purpose for his life. Would you say amen? amen. Done. Second night we, dealt about, we, we, we talked about Nicodemus, John chapter 3. Smug satisfaction, self-righteousness, holy, highly educated, civic and religious leader, has it all together, affluent, wealthy, rich, all of these things. And yet, he comes to Jesus privately by night and asks Jesus, you know, talk, try to engage Jesus. And what does Jesus do with this man? He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't have this small talk with him. He doesn't flatter him. What does he tell this good Seventh-day Adventist Christian? He tells him, you 
need to be what? Born again. Question, could Nicodemus save himself from his self-righteousness? No. Even though Isaiah 64 verse 6 tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. So Nicodemus couldn't save himself. Let me, let me rush, rush real quickly. The next one was the woman at the well, John chapter 4. in and out of relationships broken as can be ashamed that's why she can't come to the well when all the other women come to the well she's an outcast in her own community I mean first of all in the Jewish people's eyes and in their community she is hated, despised she's, a, you know, she's with the Samaritans but in her own community she's an outcast question could this woman save herself from her predicament no. That's why what Jesus said, if you knew who it was that was asking, I would give you that living water and you wouldn't thirst anymore. What was her, her, what was her response? Give me this what? Living water. So the woman can save herself. Next one was the demoniac. You guys, all of you in here know the story of the demoniac. What happened? He comes rushing to Jesus. Question, could that guy or those guys save themselves from demon possession? No. No, can't do it. What does Jesus do? Leave. <laughs> and they leave. The rest of the story is this. It says that they are found by the citizens of that country, clothed and in their right mind, and sitting at the feet of Jesus. They even wanted to follow Jesus. But Jesus said, no, I'm not going to let you. Because these people need a witness and a testimony. In Mount Vernon. Somebody say amen. amen. Mount Vernon needs somebody to go out there and tell what God has done for them. That might be you, Brian. After that, we come to the story of the rich young ruler who now takes it upon himself and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because as a good Adventist, he had a checkbox religion. I'm a vegan. I keep the Sabbath. I teach Sabbath school. I show up on time. Blah, 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 blah. And then Jesus said, offered him the heavenly treasure himself. Go and sell all that you have to the poor. Come and take up your cross and follow me, and you will have treasure in heaven. Sadly, the rich young ruler, because he had great possessions, turned away and left. But here's the good news. Even though he was trying to save himself by his works, what is impossible for man to do is possible for God to do. Would you say amen? amen? We can't save ourselves, but God can save us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 
Finally, we talked about the desperate mother found in Matthew chapter 15, the Syrophoenician woman. Jesus takes the longest trip of his public ministry to go up the Mediterranean coast for one woman. If you want to know the value of a soul, all you got to do is look at some of these people that Christ went and it says that he needed to go through Samaria. He wanted to go up to, to Tyre and Sidon to meet this woman. I want to tell you that every single person in this room and those who are joining us online, you are valuable to Jesus. Amen. Don't you ever forget it, especially our young people. And the one thing that I won't, don't want you to get twisted. Listen carefully, young people. I don't want you to get this twisted. You don't have to go out and experience the things in the streets and experience the things that I've experienced in order to come back and have a powerful testimony for Jesus. Did you say amen? And while your mother is still alive, whether it's your birth mother, whether it's your, your biological mother, whether it's your stepmother, and yes, men, whether it's your mother-in-law. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> yeah. or, or whoever it is that, re- that helped raise you. Can I tell you this? Love on your mother, love on your parents while they still are alive and can appreciate it. Amen. I want to tell you, my mother passed away in 2010. Shortly after her death, I gave my life back to Jesus. She did not see with her physical eyes her son coming back to Jesus, but she prayed it. And she believed it by faith. She believed that God would save her wayward son and bring him back to the fold. She believed that God would reach down into that dark space where I was and would rescue my life and rescue my soul. And that's the reason why I praise God for the opportunity to share about Jesus.